The Gospel of Matthew, starting in chapter 23. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore all that they do, all that they tell you, do and observe. Do not do according to their deeds. So he's not saying everything that they do is wrong. He's saying they they actually know the law very well, and so they're they're able to teach the law. So you know, the law is good. For they say things and do not do them, though. So he says, don't do what they do, though, because they're not living the right way. They don't truly live by the law, even when they might appear to be doing so. Um, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. So instead of um, being people, being a group of people who serve the people of God, they're loading burdens on the people of God and they're not really doing anything, just saying these are the laws you have to abide by them instead of helping them to do so. Jesus says they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. These are things that they wore. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by men, but do not be called rabbi. So he's saying they're doing what they do for the respect that they get amongst the people, for the uh, accolades they receive for living such a holy and righteous life. But he's going to go on to say, when, when you're living for other people to think you're holy and righteous, there's nothing holy and righteous about you. He says, hey, but do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on, your earth, on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't remembered that before, I probably just read it and, and don't think about it, but he's specifically naming himself here. Uh, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. He says, look at the way that I'm leading. I'm, I'm teaching the word of God, but I'm, more than that, in order for you to grab hold of it, I'm going to allow myself to be placed on a cross, to be scourged and crucified, to give you life, and I'm going to send my spirit to aid you to overcome the evil one. He says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. He says, God's way uh, is completely different than man's way. He's going to look to lift you up. If you are hungry and willing to give everything to him, then he will assign those who will help lift you up so that you grow closer and closer to him all the time. And it's not to impress other people. No one in this scenario should be there to impress other people, but to know the Lord and to walk in his ways. And he issues a warning to the religious people. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. He says, you religious people that make a show of your religion, or who learn 
of the religion for for your own purposes not to know god or or maybe you you know you started along the right way but then you you became about your religion you came about your society not about the living god he said you will be judged more harshly because you are making it harder for people to come into the kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven um, than someone who's simply going about a worldly life and then he gives a big warning on raising people up in this religious way. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. And then he attacks their whole way of thinking, which is the way that they're swearing. They've taught the people to swear by certain things. If you swear this way, it means something. If you swear that way, it doesn't. He says, Woe, 16, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the altering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So he's saying you're, you're sitting there, you know, mincing words. And you've completely left the way of God where you're mincing. Well, I said this, I didn't say that. Who are you trying to fool? Why Why aren't you an honest, straightforward person? You swore. Well, then you swore. Stick to that. That's his biggest point. But But then also he's making the point, what do you mean the gold in the temple is more important than the gold? I mean, more important than the temple. Um, <laughs> gold is just gold. It's a thing of the earth. The temple was established by God. How could the gold be more valuable than the temple? It's kind of a, a, a more minor point, but, but you know, what, he shows the earthly thinking of man that we get caught up in valuing the things that are, uh, that are valuable to our flesh rather than things of true value, things established by God, things that will persist long after the fleshly needs are are no longer there 23 woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you tithe mint and dill and cumin or cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness but these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others you blind guides you who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel so he's saying, you know, the Pharisees would, they would, they were so fastidious about um, the little details of the law. Like they would, eat, they would grow a little bit of uh, herbs on their, you know, in, in their garden. Just, you know, it's not, it's not a farm. It's a tiny little garden, and they would tithe that. And he's saying, look, that's wonderful that you tithe that. You, you tithing is an important. Uh, principle set by God and you should be tithing but he said you're focusing on these little minutiae of the law when there's really big things of the law really huge matters of the heart that you're completely ignoring 
He says you're you're straining at a gnat to to stay clean, and then you're swallowing a camel. Twenty-five. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean. So he's obviously talking about people, not dishes. Um, he's saying you 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 present this facade of well-kept, clean clothing and you know hair, fingernails, whatever. You know you, you look you look clean and nice. You go about your um, the the activities that you go about. You present a show of righteousness, but we meanwhile inside you're seething with self-importance and with selfishness with self-directed goals in life rather than God-directed life. 29 really shows the, I don't know, whether to call it the heart of man or the spirit of religion that is constantly at work in man. They're both kind of tied together. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So he's saying that the people of that time, and this happens over and over again throughout history. So are we awake to this possibility in ourselves? Or are we just like the Pharisees? What they would do is they would you know, build huge monuments and they would say, wow, these prophets of old were really holy really righteous. If we had been alive, we wouldn't have killed them and hurt them the way the peop- our, our forefathers did before us. But what were they about to do? They were about to do the exact same thing to Jesus, just as they had done to John. So 31, so you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. He said, you're, you're living in the exact same way. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? 34, he says, Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murder between the temple and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. He said, look, and he's, he's not just including himself. He's including his disciples and all those that come in his spirit, in his kingdom after him, that, um, you know, they will, will be tortured and killed. He's saying their blood is on your head, just as you're, you're sanctifying these old prophets who your forefathers killed, well, you're about to do the same thing, so the blood of all of them comes on your head. It's actually really powerful if you think about it. Um, he's basically saying, uh, in a more direct way, the blood of Christ and every, uh, you know, every man of God, true man of God's blood who was hurt, comes on our head when we turn against the Lord's anointed. That's a that's a pretty powerful, convicting uh, statement. And then you see Jesus is filled with the heart of the Father here. He's he's yeah he he's feeling the true remorse that God has over His people turning away from Him. 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, you know, the Father doesn't judge with glee, but with with great uh, lament that his people would turn away from him. And he has to bring difficulty in order to give them a better chance to turn back to him and come back into his ways, his plan, which is much better for the people, for you and I, than going our own way is. And Jesus says, you will not see. He's specifically talking to Jerusalem here. So you, you can call this a new Jerusalem. I believe the the Lord has shown throughout history that he works in the physical people of Israel and Jerusalem simultaneously as working in the people of God throughout the world. And uh, so, uh, you know, he when the the Jewish people are going to come to the Lord before the return of Christ and Romans 9 through 11 talks about this um, that you know they're going to receive their Messiah with weeping and gnashing of teeth because they're going to realize that they have pierced him and um, and he says you're not going to see me again until you're saying blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord so he'll have a people in in Israel yes but also a people of the world who are living according to his way who in every part of their being are saying and living the fact blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord understanding the full reality of what this means in in all senses not some fairy tale sense, but in knowing the living way of God. And then we're on to chapter 24. So they're walking, Jesus and his disciples are walking out of the temple, and his his uh, disciples just point to these magnificent buildings, and uh, they, you know, just, wow, what, what do you think of these things, Jesus? And he says, do you not see all these things? So, so the, just perspective, they're seeing the the glory of of the handicraft of mankind that they could build such incredible buildings um you know they didn't have well i mean you know like the skyscrapers today are super impressive um in much the same way that the, this temple and this complex was really impressive because they didn't have all the technology we have you know they grew up in kind of uh, areas where everyone had really simple houses that you and I could build. Um, and here's this magnificent building that took a ton of people, a ton of, uh, you know, materials, a ton of planning. And it, it was really old. It had been done a long time before. And it was just kind of beyond their imagination. So they're really impressed with these things. And Jesus says, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. He's saying God, God established this temple, but this temple no longer, just as it had done previously to the previous temple, it no longer represents him. So he will do away with it so people stop being confused with who God is and who are the people in the way that represents him so that his way will be more clear. And this is the way God moves. So if you see him tearing down the temple, um, 
then that's a good sign he's doing something mightier. So they must have been pondering uh, the the fact that the temple is going to be completely destroyed. And and just to point out, that did happen. Um, The Romans, when they sacked Jerusalem in the year 70, they viciously attacked it. They got tired of the Jews uh, having uprisings, and they... uh, they they tore down the temple and not one stone was left on it on itself. So, uh, you know that prophecy came true, of course, and um, and so now they're sitting on the Mount of Olives. So the disciples had been contemplating what Jesus had just said, which was pretty um, iconoclastic to them, right? It's, it was like, what do you mean the Lord's going to tear down the the temple? I mean, He established that week. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, it'd be hard for them to understand. And so they come to him and say, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they seem to understand here that he's going to be going away, right? He had told them that he was going to be crucified. I don't know if he specifically said crucified, but killed. But when he gets killed, they, they're shocked. They, they don't get it at that time. Um, but here, before it happens... I'm sure it was gruesome, and it was horrifying, and it was life-altering, so they just probably forgot some of these details, and, you know, it's hard. It's one thing to believe something. It's another thing when everything you see in the physical world around you seems to be totally against that thing that you believe. That really tests your faith, and so their faith was tested. But here, it hasn't really been tested to that degree yet, so they seem to understand that he's going to be going away because he said, they say, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answers, see to it that no one misleads you for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. So I'm going to try to go through this verse by verse. This is the probably the most where Jesus talks about the end times right right here. So he says, many will come in my name, misleading, and that they, they will mislead many. So he's basically saying, look, it's upon you to seek the Lord as, as the one who is providing guidance, living according to this way that I've established. If you continually seek God, he will make clear to you who you should be uh, listening to, who you should be fellowshipping with in order to be raised up in my way. He says there will be wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened for those things must take place. Of course, we've kind of had wars and rumors of wars uh, ever since that time and before. So it's kind of hard to use that as any particular sign um, certainly um, things are heating up again in the world. But if you would have grabbed hold of any one of those, you know, I mean, like the world wars, for instance, those are huge cataclysmic wars. Um, but if we would have thought that's the end, we would have been wrong, right? He says, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And so he says that this, there's, the Lord is birthing forth a kingdom. And as this happens, there will, be, there will be birth pangs. You know, when you have a baby, there's tremendous pain. It's a long process of pain. And, and the way they come is they, 
it's it, it, it there it's there's like waves so they come and it gets more and more and more and more and it's just really hard and then it kind of starts coming down coming down coming down and then you got to you know 20 seconds of peace or something and then it comes again <laughs> and it's over and over and over again until the baby comes out and he's saying that the earth itself and the history of mankind will experience these things on the way to the very end nine it says then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So, I, you know, I believe very strongly that uh, the, these things are playing out right now. So let's go through them. Um, uh, fortunately for us in, in the United States, uh, we're not being killed for our faith at this time. There are people all over the world in, in Muslim countries being killed for their faith. In, in Nigeria, which is mostly a Christian country, but has a huge, um, you know, the Hoga, what's it called? I don't know. They, the Muslims there are constantly killing, um, grabbing little girls to use and sell and uh, just horrible things happening. Um, China, um, the, the, there's maybe a hundred million Christians in China, which is like one in 10 people, uh, according to everything we hear, um, actually believe in the Lord. And, and honestly, the, it's a healthier, <laughs> the, the, the sad thing is the human nature, when we're being persecuted for our faith, it's healthier. And we'll kind of get into that because of no, yeah, let me save that for a second. But so you have these in China, they're persecuted. For some reason, the news only talks about the fact that uh, Muslims are persecuted because Muslim is not it is more of a religion. It's it's not the faith of God. It's it's it very much takes hold of entire cultures. And so you have these people in West China who are culturally Muslim and so because you're born into that family and this happens in Christianity too you have cultural Christians as well and this is part of the problem that he's talking about right here but so we're we're, all, we're sort of for some reason we talk more about the fact that the Muslims are persecuted than the fact that the Christians are persecuted but in 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 China the Christian people are, are it's not like tr certain tribes that are Christian it's people that come to the Lord and so it's the persecution is different, but they do they throw people in jail? Yes. Do they kill people? Yes. Do they torture people? Yes. Um, it's it's not you, you you know if you're a true Christian and not part of the they they have set up like communist Christians where they don't let you read certain parts of the Bible and they you know it's kind of a control it's not it's, it's just a controlled religion that you're allowed to be but if you're truly following the Lord you're doing so under great tribulation in China. And those are just the countries that come to mind. But this is this certainly goes on in, in a lot of different countries in the world. Uh, some people think it'll be happening here soon. Certainly there's, there's waves in our society that if they take hold and they continue... The things that are happening in society now, if you would have said, if, if someone would have said to you 10 years ago these things would have been happening, you would have thought there's no way that's possible. But now they're commonplace things. Uh, I, I, 
it's not hard for me to imagine that in 10 years there could be persecution against true Christians in this country as well. But I could also see it going in a different direction. I'm not predicting that. I have no idea. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. This has also clearly been going on in the West for decades. So, I, I, don't, I mean, there's no clear timeline of when it started. It's certainly over the last 50 years it's been happening. Um, you know, I'm sure if you talk to someone old, they could say it's been happening for, for 100 years. I don't know exactly when it started, but it's happening and it's accelerating right now where more and more people are leaving the faith. And um, so this falling away is happening. And it, then it says, you know, look, look what happens in accordance simultaneously with this. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. So what happens? People fall away from the faith of God. And what used to be a nice civilized Christian country becomes lawless. You look around and watch the news. This is happening, and people's love grows cold. They become more interested in themselves and their own ideologies and their own well-being than for living for the Lord. 13, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So he says, look, I'm with you, and it's actually better for the people of God when there is this kind of tribulation. It's better for the people of God when the ones who aren't really there for the Lord, they're there for themselves, when they go away. I've talked about this over and over again in these recordings. Um, that the, the Spirit of God moves more powerfully through a smaller, unified people that are willing to die to themselves and live for the Lord's purposes. He moves powerfully in a group like that. His power and authority come strongly in such a scenario. Um, whereas when it's a large group, because what man, man wants a large group, like, you know, you got pastors all over the country and they want a 10,000 people sitting and listening to their every word. But what do they use to draw that crowd? They use ideas of the world to draw them in. And so the Spirit of God, it can move individually in in people's lives i mean i i had you know i i went to uh big big churches where all kinds of awful things were happening at the same time god was moving powerfully in my life for a time and we're we're sort of in a time of transition so he can move in in anyone's life that he wants to when he's calling that person to, up to his life but in large part as far as the, the powerful way that God is moving and plans to move, it's not within a huge crowd of people who are there for all kinds of various purposes. The way he's always looked, if you read the Bible, as we're doing, you go through all these things, you'll see over and over again, he takes out a small remnant, he blesses that remnant, he trains up that remnant, he leads that remnant to now uh, be his way. And he does away with the old thing that no longer represents him. And it's better for the people that fall away because they, they're not confused anymore. When, when, they're in, when they're going to church every week, they think they're good with God, but really they're just living for themselves. That's not a healthy position to be in. It's better to know full well that you're not living for God so that when you see people who are living for God experiencing joy and peace, that you can say, hey, I want what they have. So it's better for them. They can say, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
I've I've made a wrong turn somewhere. I want what you have. Grab you know, grab hold of their garment, their robe, and say, "Teach me what you know." It's better for it's better for everyone. And so, what you know, we don't like the word judgment because it sounds scary and mean, but it's actually a blessing to for God to say, "Look, I'm going to grab hold of these people, and I'm going to take them through some very difficult things." When you when you um, you have dross and gold or silver and you refine it out. If you were that gold or silver, that's a painful process to go through. But at the end, you are beautiful gold or silver that no longer has the dross in it. So God takes a people and does this in order to have a purified people that represent him. And meanwhile, he moves out people that don't represent him and gives them the clear opportunity to choose him. He says, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So, does he say, this gospel of salvation shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations? No, he says, the gospel of the kingdom, the the good news of my living way in the world, shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. In a way, this is like the uh, the early and the latter rains. Um, uh, first, the, you know, the vast majority of people in the world today know that there's, there is this person named Jesus who many people in the world believe was um, sacrificed for our sins. I'm sure there's, there's certainly still some people somewhere that have no idea of this concept. But the reality of a living way that um, is available through him, that is not well known at all. But the seeds have been sown in order for this living reality to progress far more rapidly than the gospel of salvation was able to progress throughout the world. 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So what is the abomination of desolation? Um, there are people that will say that that already happened, um, you know, around the year 70. I think, uh, you know, I don't remember, I don't know my history about that very well. But when the Romans did sack the temple, I think they, well, for one, they destroyed it. That That's pretty clear. The Syrians had put like a pig in there or something. I think the Romans might have done something like that too. 
but um, they certainly destroyed the temple, right? Um, and and so a lot of people think, oh, that's already happened. And the people that live there, they did have to flee because the Romans came, you know, destroying everything. And so this has already happened. Well, in one sense, that's true. But even if you want to say that's what Jesus was talking about, if you understand the way the Lord moves, these things happen over and over again until the fulfillment. And so obviously those... Look, Peter Peter declared the last days were here in uh, early in Acts, like right right after the day of Shavuot or Pentecost. So it's so you can say, well, the last days began there. Okay, well that that's true. I mean, most most of us don't like when we think of last days, don't consider that a two thousand plus year long period of time. Um, but it but I'm not going to argue with Peter on that either. Um, but the, here he's talking about the way things will go as he as he wraps up an age, and so uh, the the coming of Jesus and then his disciples who are then established as apostles to bring forth the kingdom that was a wrapping up of the of an age of mankind, and I would I would say to you that we are in a period right now of wrapping up an age. We're wrapping up the church age. Church age is over. Uh, you know, I don't, don't want to hurt your sensibilities. <laughs> but uh, the church age is over and the kingdom age has come. And we're in this place where that's not completely clear to most people. But it doesn't change the fact that it is. And so what is this abomination of desolation? Well, you know, Daniel talked about it. When we get to Daniel, we'll, we'll talk about this in, in greater detail. But when there's something that's an abomination put in the temple of God, then that's the abomination of desolation, right? So if the temple of God is the people of God, that's well established in the New Testament, right? Um, Paul and Peter both talk at great lengths about this. So when the people of God bring on things that are very much antichrist, they're against the word of God. They're against uh, what God stands for then that is an abomination of desolation. If you look at Mystery Babylon in Revelation, um, I, I know a lot of people get confused with, with Revelation, but if you read it, if you look at it and seek the Lord for understanding, it's very clear that Mystery Babylon is his people. So I, I could, you know, and it, it's actually, it's tricky to talk about these things because they go beyond human thought. But the mystery Babylon is the church, or you could also say it's the Western world, which includes the church tied in with the government, the whole culture. It's a whole, it's a vestiges of the Roman culture, which is still alive and well in the United States and Europe and in, in, in all the West. Um, and it is the rest of the world looks at this as Christianity so even if you, you can be a Christian in this world and say, well, these people don't represent, you know, Christianity. The rest of the world doesn't see it that way. They see this is the Christian world. These are the things that they stand for. And it is being judged. And the, the Lord looks at this as an abomination of desolation. There, you know, it's no longer the Lord leading this thing. It is a bunch of people living for their own purposes and their own philosophies and their own selfishness. So when these things happen, he says, what do you do? Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. 
He says, get, you know, <laughs> get out of there. He says, woe to those who are pregnant and nursing babies in those days. That these are those that feel like they can't leave. Well, woe to you. Pray that the Lord makes it easier for you to get out. But it's up to you to get out. But then there will be a great tribulation. So the idea that there won't be persecution, persecution in the West kind of flies in the face of this. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not predicting. I, I don't. It's, it's dangerous to read something and just understand, oh, then this means this is going to happen. Unless the Lord is showing you that, the scriptures often mean something a little different than, than your understanding. But it's, it's pretty clear when he's talking about these times, tribulation. And when you understand, we've talked a lot about Revelation 12 and that happening in this day, um, this woman having tribulation, it's really clear. He's saying this tribulation is like nothing seen before, but for the sake of the saved, he will cut short those days. So the, the woman will be let, let out, will, will survive, but it's going to be a cleansing process. There's going to be this falling away. There's going to be the, the people of God who are in this, uh, in this church system, in this body, will all of a sudden be purified and become holy through the tribulation. The tribulation is good because it teaches us what's real, what's holy and righteous, and what was our fallen ways that we had allowed to creep in to ourselves and become mixed in with the religion, with, you know, with the way of life of God. He says, behold, I've, I've told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. Behold, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe them. He's saying, if you just seek the Lord, he will make it clear to you. He's like, I'm, I'm not leaving you as orphans that I don't care about. Seek me and I will make it clear to you which way you should go. So even though he's saying these big and terrible things are going to happen, he's saying, don't worry seek me like use this as an opportunity to become hungrier for me to seek me more clearly and i will establish you the way of safety the way of true life you don't have to worry that you've missed it as long as you're seeking me for just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west so will the coming of the son of man be wherever the corpse is there the vultures will gather so he's saying look the, the vultures are going to gather around this corpse of, that's um, uh, interesting. I, I saw this uh, prophecy by somebody recently, Dana Coverstone, something like Cornerstone, something like that. I'd never heard of the guy before, but um, he, he, part of his, uh, part of his, I think it was a dream, uh, was of vultures. And at the time, it just clicked. If you read Revelation 12, you see that, you know, the, the powers and authorities, principalities being thrown down to the earth. So I saw that as that very clearly. But um, here, you know, you see vultures gathering over the corpse of the the church that had been, you know, the, those who didn't come out of her, who didn't, who weren't led by the coming of the Son of Man, were left to be eaten by the vultures. This is figurative, of course, but uh, but. The, the, these vultures are very real. These powers and principalities are very real. And so they they want nothing more than to feast on us. And they're constantly attacking us. And so he is our way out of this into not just safety, but into freedom, into true life, into love, joy, peace, righteousness, holiness, 
and power and authority over these things, the coming of his kingdom. 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. So he's clearly talking about signs in the skies. So I think modern Christianity wants to completely rule out anything in the physical world having any importance, but Jesus was not on that page. Um, He's clearly shows God gives signs in the skies. And again, I've, I've mentioned it before, but the Star of Bethlehem show you can find on YouTube with the guy explaining everything that happened. The Star of Bethlehem with the, you know, Jesus's birth. It's amazing if you believe that, and that's up to you. But I find it really compelling what he shows happened in the skies, in the heavenlies, around the time of Jesus's birth uh, and possibly conception. Um, it's it's truly amazing um now the, there's the very end of it he he shows when he thinks Jesus was crucified and i disagree with that part because it just one sign it, it there's a lot more evidence that it was a different day than that but the the star of bethlehem which is the main point of the show it's it's really amazing how the lord aligns things that happen in the entire universe because the universe moves like a clock right it Everything's moving around in a certain pattern, and it's predictable. And yet, somehow, by the, by the grace of the Lord, by the wisdom of the Lord, he can have events happening in humankind, which we all think we're completely living according to our free will. And we are. But somehow, all of our free will, billions of people all working together, certain events seem to happen at the same time amazing signs in the sky happen. Or the signs in the sky can be foretelling something about to happen. It's mind-boggling. Certainly no human could do it. But God is way, his ways are much higher than our ways. Okay, so we talked about this recently in Revelation 12. Um, the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And so I, I, I've told you that these things are happening now. It's why, it's why we're seeing so much chaos in the world. The uh, powers and authorities in the second heaven are being thrown down. And so on the one hand, that's really good is uh, they have less authority. They have less. the, the, The heavens are more clear to God and God is placing certain ones into those thrones of power in the second heaven to have greater authority and to be a greater conduit of the third heaven, which is God's throne room into the earth. And so that's good. These things are being thrown down um, to the earth, to the third heaven. Um, but here's the, uh, here, here's the kicker. All of a sudden they're mad, they're rampaging, they're at loose in the world, and they're causing far more havoc than, than what was seen previously. So that's these stars being thrown down. That's these powers of heaven being shaken. So it'd be good to cross-reference that with Revelation 12, as I said. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory.
So oh, here's here's what I see here. Um, so the the coming of the Son of Man. I I believe there's Jesus is coming is again in waves. That's the way God always works. If you look throughout history, he always he works in a way, and then he comes in another way. And we can look back and we say, well, did that fulfill the word of God, or did this other time fulfill the word of God? Well, yes, is the answer. That's the, that's the principles of God working. That is his life moving through the world in greater and greater measure. And so this coming of the Son of Man is first in his raised up sons of God. That is God's purpose in mankind, that he have a people who represent him in the world, his family, who takes on his wisdom, his way of life, and is able to convey that love, that power, that authority, um, that truth into the world so that people can know God and all creation, not just people, all creation can know God and that his way can reign in the world. That has to happen first. The bride has to make herself ready first before the Son of God comes in the final chapter when Jesus actually comes. So when coming in the clouds, you can see that as this great people who are in, who have been placed, these sons of God who have been placed in the heavenlies with this authority, right? You see that? They, these, all of a sudden they have power and authority that was not seen before in such a structure because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has actually come to earth. And so that's the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Now that's not to say I don't believe that God, that Jesus will actually return in in His new raised up heavenly bodily form at a later time. I believe that will happen also. So both understandings I think are correct. And I, I, don't, I think there's controversies about these things. I actually don't pay attention to what a lot of people are saying out there, so I'm not really sure. But that's how I see that um, taking place. I think one of these things is happening now. I think Jesus himself, and like you can look at a person and say, whoa, that's Jesus. Um, I believe that's going to come too, but that's not, we're not ready for that. There's tons of scripture that shows that that's not happening real soon because other things have to happen first. And so that will happen once his kingdom has been firmly established, when there are many sons of God ruling and reigning against the world. And then the final overcoming of the enemy uh, will come when, when, Je- when Jesus himself comes. And, and so that's how I see that going. Uh, the Lord will certainly teach me much on this subject in the years ahead. Um, but I'll just share my current understanding. But you see in 31, he's sending forth his angels with a great trumpet, gathering together his elect from the four winds. So no one is left out. All those that are truly his, he's gathering together. Well, how do we know when these things are supposed to happen? Well, he talks about that in 32. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So he says, you you can see, you know, what I did with the fig tree when it was when it was not bearing fruit, I got rid of it, right? He's saying this is an important sign that I did for you. But he's saying, in general, when a fig tree puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. 
So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. He's saying you can look at the earth, you know, the world around you, the plants, the weather, and you can see, oh, the seasons are changing. I know what this means. He's saying you need to be spiritually aware as well. When these, when certain things are happening in the world, don't just think it's all just random. Look around and recognize what's happening and see that I'm moving. And then you will be, you know, then you will be shown what I'm doing in the world. Jesus then says, but no one knows the exact details of these things, of when these important things happen other than God. He says, 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. So he's saying, I don't even know you're asking me these dates and you know, I have the only begotten Son of God, but I don't know. Only the Father knows. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as, as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one will be left. So he's describing what it'll be like. What was it in the time of Noah? People were partying, having fun. Meanwhile, Noah and his family were over here building an ark. It had never rained before the time of Noah, before the time of Noah's ark actually being used. And can you imagine how ridiculous a guy spending who knows how many years and decades it took them to build this giant ark? Um, you know, it could have been a hundred years. I, we don't know. He didn't know lived a long time and he spent a long time building this ark, which was a thing with no wheels built on dry land. It was the most absurd building anyone had ever seen. <laughs> and here they are just building and building and while they're partying and having fun, living for their own desires. And you got these people over here building and building this thing. And they just look ridiculous. And then one day the rains came. And Noah and his family are, and all the animals are, you know, safely tucked away in this ark. And the floods come and everyone else is destroyed who's not in the ark. And so, you know, you, you, you see a, a picture. Jesus is showing what this looks like. He's saying people will be going about living completely worldly lives not living for me, they will have no idea this is about to come on them. But there will be people, a remnant people, prepared who know about these things. And the floodwaters will come, and it will destroy their old way of life. Now, I don't mean a literal flood. God promised there would never be another literal flood. But Jesus is saying here that there will be this same sort of life-altering circumstances that will come and just obliterate the the life people have always known before and um, there'll be two people standing next to each other they'll seem the same but one will be lifted away into this ark and the other will be devastated by these floods then jesus goes on to say in 42 therefore be on the alert for you do not know which day your lord is coming he says so awaken yourself to this spiritual reality live a life of the spirit live a life according to god not of this world so that you can be aware of these things. Because if you live according to this world, you are completely blindsided by these things. 
But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time the night of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. So he's he's um, differentiating these slaves who live according to the master's will and help out the rest of the household versus earlier we were talking about how he was just castigating the the Pharisees, the religious people, for their ways. He's saying, who's the faithful and sensible slave who's taking care of my household? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So to those who are faithful with little, much will be given. 48. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. So now here he's saying again, there will be these same type of religious people who I was just uh, railing at a couple thousand years earlier. These same type of people will exist in those days. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, who had he just called the hypocrites? The Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes, the religious people, right? So he says, these are the same type of people, they'll be assigned together. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he's making a stark difference. He said, I, the, this difference will come. The, the wheat and the tares grow up together, but there comes a day of harvest, and the tares will be thrown in the fire, and the wheat will be gathered into the barn. So he's saying, be ready, be alert, be, be open to the movement of my spirit, because the way I will come will be different than the way that your religious training might have led you to believe. But I am coming and you want to be moving as I move. And if you have a fervent heart to seek me and my kingdom, you don't need to worry about um, missing it. If your heart is truly for me, I will bring you into this thing. If your heart is truly for yourself, for your religion, for anything else that's not me, then it, it will be a difficult time. But again, maybe the difficulties are good for you to wake up and realize, wait a minute, what am I really living for? Who do, what do I really care about? And then what a blessing to be realize that, hey, the way of God is open to me. I just have to choose him. And then he will bring you into this life. Uh, and that is it for today. The Lord bless you.